0: Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside the BACB. I'm Melissa Nasek, the Deputy CEO. Today, I've asked Dr. Molly Luke, the BACB's Director of Certificate Services, to join us to share updates on RBT certification. This episode is specifically for RBT supervisors, requirements coordinators out there, and organizations that employ RBTs, as well as individuals preparing to apply for RBT certification in the future. Welcome, Molly.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, So we received a lot of really great feedback that the last RBT podcast was helpful. So we're back for a second episode, and this time we have strategically structured the content of this episode to provide tips, resources, and additional helpful information from training through post-certification activities. So, Melissa, will you kick us off by sharing one of our most recently published new resources for RBTs?
0: Yep, I sure will. So, we recently published the RBT 40-hour training provider pass rate report, and the audience that we had in mind for this was employers that train RBTs, and anybody that's pursuing their RBT certification. Now there are two criteria for a training provider to appear on the 40 hour training pass rate list. The first criteria is that the training provider has to have trained at least 50 first time testers in the year and the training must also be available for anyone to purchase. So it has to be publicly available and they must have trained 50 first time testers in the given year. Now, just to provide some more explanation about what the pass rate is, so the pass rate, for example, a pass rate of 50%, is the percentage of first-time testers who pass on their first attempt. So if you look at it this way, a pass rate of 50% means that one out of every two test takers pass the examination on their first try. In other words, in a group of 10 new employees training to become RBTs, A 40-hour training program with a pass rate of 50% might mean that half of your new hires that take that training may need to take the examination more than one time to pass.
1: Hmm, Yeah, that is really helpful guidance to consider because ideally the goal is to have a high-quality training, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So keeping in mind that the 40-hour training is an entry-level training standard, an agency should really consider the pass rate of a provider and then consider supplementing it with additional training anywhere they see it necessary. And as a reminder, agencies that provide their own 40-hour training do not appear on this pass rate report because the training is only available to their individual employees and it's not available publicly. Molly, do you have anything else to add about that resource?
1: Not really, but I do think it was really interesting that there are several universities providing the 40-hour training to the public, meaning you wouldn't need to be a student at that university to take it. And most of those training programs had the highest pass rates last year. That was really interesting to see.
0: So, hey, Molly, I think it's time for a behavior analysis
1: history moment. Ooh, behavior analysis history moment. I like this addition. Yeah, so many of our listeners may already know that one of the earliest university training programs and one that was critical in the formation of Applied Behavior Analysis was at the University of Kansas, which, by the way, had the highest RBT 40-hour training cost rate last year.
0: I think this is going to be a great new annual resource to provide a metric for employers and potential RBTs. So, okay, we have talked about the resource for helping to select trainings. The application process is next, and we have plenty of tips to make that experience a good one.
1: Right, yeah, we do. And I am happy to talk about this. The application process is actually pretty detailed in the RBT handbook in the applying to become an RBT section. But I'll go over the process briefly right now. So What that looks like is um, the applicant first creates their account with their personal information, including a personal email address. Once they have met all the eligibility requirements, they will start an RBT application, which is a three-step application. Mm -hmm. So in the first section, the applicant will upload their 40-hour training certificate, initial competency assessment, and the transcript to show they have a high school degree or an equivalent. And they will then identify their RBT supervisor or requirements coordinator. Once that section is complete, the supervisor requirements coordinator that they identified will be notified by email that they need to complete the second section in their own account. In that portion, the supervisor or requirements coordinator will attest to the fact that the applicant is at least 18 years old, passed the background check, and the supervisor or requirements coordinator is willing to provide ongoing supervision if they become certified. After they have completed their portion, the applicant will be notified by email that they can go back into their BACB account to agree to our processing agreement and pay that application fee.
0: It was really helpful that you went over that process, Molly, because many of the organizations that I've spoken with have a lot of supervisors that don't go through this process with their RBTs. So they're not aware of that back and forth that happens. So I think it was really helpful to sort of describe that for those supervisors out there that don't really know what the process involves.
1: Right, right. And I am realizing on a podcast, you can't see me nodding my head, but yes, I agree. So, yes. So, once all of the application is completed, staff will review it. And another misunderstanding that we have heard from some applicants is that they think as soon as that application is submitted, they can take the exam. But our staff do review all the documents submitted to ensure that the applicant is meeting the requirements. So, submitting an application does not necessarily mean that the applicant is automatically qualified to take the exam. So, all that is to say is even if you're not an RBT, but you're employing or supervising RBTs, one thing I would recommend is reviewing this section of the handbook and ideally review it with all of your applicants, or you can make it part of your initial training to help them understand what they can expect when they apply.
0: That's a really good point because my guess is that some people think that our system is what approves their documents, but there aren't checks and balances in our system. There are actual people looking at each and every application that comes in to make sure that requirements have been met. Thanks so much for that overview. As an interesting note, in many cases, a supervisor might not be involved in the process leading to certification. At larger agencies that we interact with, there are often many supervisors, and then there may be one requirements coordinator that shepherd the RBTs through the process of becoming certified. So Molly is now going to share some tips for either the supervisor or the requirements coordinator, if there is one, that will help the applicant with this process to make it go smoothly.
1: Yeah, I have a number of tips, actually. So for organizations who rely on RBTs, I have tips based on a lot of ideas that I've actually heard from various organizations of practices they have implemented. So one is to implement an internal review process before the applicant applies. So for instance, before an applicant submits an application, they should have either their supervisor or requirements coordinator review the application materials with them To ensure that all of the information is included and it meets all of our requirements. My second tip is that organizations might want to create a system for gathering feedback on why any applications were denied. This will help ensure that their processes continue to improve to avoid future applicants from experiencing similar issues. Third, I would recommend regularly reviewing your training curriculum to identify areas for further improvement that will increase the success of your applicants passing the exam. And finally, my last tip is to request that individuals document the date that their application was completed, including the payment. That information will be helpful so that you can check the customer service webpage at bacb.com for updates on our review timelines.
0: Yeah, I actually interacted with someone just the other day that is responsible for a lot of RBTs, and they didn't even know that that part of our website existed where the web pages is where they can just be checking to see how far along our customer service team is in processing applications. And they said it was really helpful. So I'm glad that you pointed that piece out too. Okay, so those are great tips. And after the application process is completed, that's where we are next, the next step is actually testing. So just to provide an update on the examination experience for RBTs, we began offering remote testing in April of 2020, shortly after the pandemic closed a lot of the Pearson view testing centers all over the country and the world, actually. Since then, we've been monitoring the security of the remote examination so that we can continue to offer that test delivery method. Recently, we've taken some steps of beginning to restrict remote testing in areas where we see irregularities in the testing data. This step has been really important for us being able to continue to offer the RBT examination remotely in areas where we don't see anomalous data. So if you do happen to be in a geographic region that has this restriction, the RBT candidate will be notified and they will still have the ability to test in person at a local Pearson View Center, they just won't be able to test via OnView. Now, a couple of notes for individuals who have to retake the examination, there is a limit of eight examination attempts for your authorization period and there is a retake application that has to be completed in between examination attempts. But after passing the test, The newly minted RBT has some important things to do, and Molly's going to talk about that next.
1: That's right. So as a reminder, the RBT certification is their certification, but supervisors and mentors play a really important part in it. In many cases, this might be their first job the person has had. So this really provides a great opportunity for professional development and coaching around obtaining and maintaining a professional certification.
0: Molly, that's such a great perspective. I'm going to continue with some of the important things that supervisors should have RBTs do. And those things include checking the registry to make sure that the RBT is appearing correctly, then showing the RBT how to check their certification on the registry. And remember, it takes 24 hours after an RBT passes the examination for their name to appear on our registry. Another thing is to work with the RBT to help them make a plan for meeting their maintenance requirements. One part of that is discussing the ethics code with the RBT and ensuring that there are ethics topics that are regularly sprinkled into supervision meetings and trainings. Another aspect of the maintenance piece is discussing the BECB self-reporting requirements and that process with RBTs and making sure they're real familiar with those requirements. The requirements coordinator, supervisor, and RBT should also put their renewal date on the calendar, as well as the date that they can start completing the renewal competency assessment. We suggest this because we have so many times that people miss their renewal date, so we really recommend submitting all the renewal documents before the date to avoid any lapses in their certification. Because even though there's a 30-day reinstatement period after every renewal date, the RBT is going to be considered inactive during that time, and they won't be able to practice if they don't catch that renewal date. We also published a blog that include all of these tips if you want something that is accessible on our website to share with your RBTs, and the blog is called Tips for New Certificates.
1: Yeah, that Tips for New Certificates blog is really helpful, even for all of our certification levels. All right, so I can take over now some supervision. So I thought it would be helpful to talk a little more about the two types of roles that you might have at your organization with regards to RBT supervision. Mm-hmm. So the first role is an RBT supervisor. These are the behavior analysts who are responsible for the services that the RBT is helping implement. This supervisor is meeting regularly with the RBT to discuss specific client programs, observe them working with clients, and ideally just being an overall mentor and coach. The second role is the requirements coordinator. And I wanted to spend a little more time on this role because it seems like there are more agencies that have this role at their organization. So this role was developed knowing that in many places an RBT is working with several supervisors and clients. So the requirements coordinator is the person who's responsible for ensuring that each RBT is receiving supervision that meets the requirements across all the supervisors at that organization. And by the way, that person might also have a caseload and be serving as a supervisor for a few RBTs as well as doing the coordination.
0: Yeah, they have so much on their plate sometimes, right? I know that agencies struggle with this. I can't imagine. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. I know some people ask whether in the situation where a person is serving as both a supervisor and a requirements coordinator for an RBT, how they would show up in our system?
1: So if you are serving as both a requirements coordinator and supervisor for an RBT, then your role is a requirements coordinator. So thanks for asking that question. Something that might be helpful to remember is that from the BACB's perspective, we look at whether an individual RBT is meeting the supervision requirements. If there are multiple supervisors overseeing the RBT's work with their specific clients, the requirements coordinator is a great unifying role to ensure that each RBT is meeting the requirements across all of those supervisors. It's also worth mentioning that if we do a supervision audit and there's a requirements coordinator on record, that is who we would contact for all of the supervision information. So it can also be really helpful to help expedite an audit review. So ultimately
0: the requirements coordinator is really the coordinator and will be the person we contact if there's an audit or information needed about an RBT supervisor.
1: Right, right.
0: Okay, so I know it's hard as a supervisor when there are multiple supervisors covering cases to ensure there is coordination and make sure everyone's on the same page about who's responsible for the various pieces of the supervision requirements.
1: Right, I know different agencies have figured out their own systems but We have heard of some really cool systems for requirements coordinators.
0: Yep. In one conversation, I remember an agency mentioning that they had monthly meetings to discuss the BACB supervision requirements and BACB updates and systems to gather and review audit logs from the various supervisors just to ensure that each RBT is meeting the requirements, even when there are a lot of supervisors involved.
1: That's right. It's important to remember that doing the supervision directly with the client is important, but some supervision should be done outside of the direct client services. So for instance, discussing professionalism or other professional development topics are also really important part of the supervision process too. So these meetings can also include encouraging and reminding the RBTs that they should know the requirements, helping them learn how to advocate for themselves and take an active role in their supervision.
0: Well, we have just covered a lot of RBT tips and resources in a pretty short amount of time. For the listeners out there, if you heard anything new and want to find more information about it, links can be found in the show notes for this podcast. So thanks for listening, everyone, and take care.
1: Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe
0: now.